Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hello, and welcome to In All Honesty, the podcast where you get the honest answers you didn't know you needed. I'm Michelle Elman, and I'm a five-board accredited life coach, and I use my experience from this to answer all the questions that have been on your mind lately. This week, we are talking about family, all things family, family relationships, brothers, sisters, siblings, parents, whatever you want to talk about. But families are the longest relationships you have, and so therefore the most ingrained relationships you have and it can get complicated. I think everyone's family is a little bit complicated whether that's your extended family or your nuclear family and yet we all have this illusion that all families are perfect and this idea of the perfect family I think is perpetuated so much by the media and if any of you have been following me on Instagram you know I'm quite anti-Christmas and I am quite anti-Christmas because of what it does around family systems and the pressure it places on that idea of a perfect family. I also just don't really like Christmas <laughs> and I don't like that time of year. I don't like celebrating something for four months and I also don't like being forced to celebrate something which is meant to be religious and isn't and... Yeah, I just find it all a bit too much and all-encompassing. But that's a separate tangent. Back to families, I do think Christmas is kind of the epitome of where family perfection is portrayed. It's the idea of this perfect family that's enhanced and amplified and everywhere it's so unavoidable around that time of year. And I remember one Christmas when I was 15... I got into a fight with my brother and stormed out of Christmas lunch, like actually Christmas lunch on Christmas Day, and had gone to my room, slammed the door, stayed in my room, and my childhood best friend at the time had sent me a message on Facebook, and it was just a standard message saying, Merry Christmas, how are you? But I don't know whether it's the anger I had at the time, or the fact that I just didn't care anymore. But I just replied to it honestly and broke that veneer of perfection and replied being like, shit, to be honest, I'm actually in my room by myself. Everyone's pissing me off and I'm going to fight with my brother and by extension, my entire family, because no one sees what the problem is. And she replied being like, same. 
And that is when things started changing for me. And I was like, what do you mean same? Why have we never spoken about this? I've known this girl, this woman now, uh, but I knew her since she was a girl at six years old. We've been friends for that long and I never had a single conversation with her about how annoying my family can be or how annoying my brother can be. And vice versa, I never heard about her family ever getting to a fight even though fights within families are so normal. And it was in this conversation that she said, I genuinely can't remember a Christmas that hasn't involved a fight. This happens every year. And basically, as soon as that happened, I was like this feeling of why have we never spoken about this? And then she said something interesting, which she said, I don't know, I guess I felt quite embarrassed about it. And I do think there is this shame or this embarrassment that happens and in her words it was because she felt like everyone else was having an amazing time and she didn't want to ruin everyone else's time but also she felt bad that she wasn't also having an amazing time I mean how awful is that like this time of year that's meant to be the best time of year and everyone's meant to enjoy it has created some sort of pressure in order to not actually be honest about how we're feeling and it's almost like that toxic positivity thing of needing to enjoy Christmas and needing to enjoy yourself and not being able to just communicate the basic human experience of sometimes the perfect days that you're meant to be having aren't as perfect as they are portrayed. So after that conversation I started asking around, I started asking did you really have a good time when people were telling me about their Christmas or just even directly does your family ever fight at Christmas and just as I was getting more and more honest with my friends and in my life in general, not just about Christmas, I realised families are just not this exception to the rule that are created because ultimately family is a group dynamic and any group dynamic is complicated, especially when it's a group of people you have not chosen to be in a group with. There's that cliche that you can't choose your family, but I always say that you can't choose your family, but you can choose who you keep in your life. And that's another taboo. This idea that you can't cut family out, that family is forever, blood is thicker than water. All of these phrases that almost make it seem like it's impossible to cut someone out who in your family might be toxic, might be abusive, might be manipulative. And not being able to have that option means that we tolerate a lot more within families. However, I have a belief that my family are not held to a different standard or expectation than anyone else in my life. If you treat me badly, no matter who you are, family included, you do not deserve a place in my life. But that means we have to open up this possibility of cutting people out or even just distancing family members because ultimately you did not choose to have them in your life but you get a choice now and despite the taboo that doesn't actually mean there is anything wrong with you. It actually is amazing to figure out how much it improves your family relationships simply to know there is an option to cut your family out because I believe it means it ruins this idea of taking people for granted and I think that leads to a lot of toxic dynamics where we don't appreciate the people in our lives because we take them for granted and we don't take that moment to actually thank them for being there for us because we'll always have that illusion of they'll always be there for us and when we have that illusion it becomes really hard when you don't have these perfect relationships and especially when it comes to parents we believe there's something wrong with us and I believe this stems from the messaging that parents should always have this 
unconditional love and therefore if a parental relationship goes wrong it does make people question the child in that relationship question what is wrong with me that I can't even have the relationship that is supposedly meant to be the one that I can count on the one I take for granted and therefore we need to talk about not only cutting family out but also just setting boundaries with family in general Also, what I've since realised is if you are honest about what's going on in your family and you talk about it to other people, other people open up as well and you don't feel so alone in the problem. When you're honest, you're met with honesty and oh my god, we're all living with all of this shame of not having perfect families and actually, we are so far from alone. So I hope this podcast episode serves a reminder that if there's a family member you don't like, don't get on with or have to cut out of your life, you aren't the only one but also find someone you trust just one person and be honest about what's going on because shame breeds silence and silence breeds shame and so we need both of them to end in order to create a healthier dynamic within us regardless of our families just so that we can be happier in our own lives hi michelle this is rebecca i'm 24 years old and i'm from germany i grew up in a very well-functioning family with two wonderful parents And my dad was already 61 when I was born. My mom's 20 years younger. So he got to spend a lot of time with me when I was a kid and was really invested. Um, As I got older, I moved out when I was 18 and I hardly went home for visits. And I moved really far apart from my father, who is now 85 and struggles with early dementia for about two or three years. He's still in a very early stage, so he will forget things I tell him. He has really bad mood swings, but he's far away from not recognizing family members and stuff like that. Um, my dad hardly takes any interest in like my personal life. He won't ask me any questions. Um, I know he loves me. It's just not really his thing. And last time I did go home, we had a huge fight because I'm super interested in living environmentally friendly, I'm interested in feminism, and he claims that those topics are simply a privilege and compares my upgrowing to his because he had to grow up in and after the Second World War. Because of his lack of, uh, in my in my personal life and that huge fight we had, I really, I, I just don't want to reach out to him and it's just no fun for me to spend time with him at all. But at the same time, I'm always super worried that in a couple of years he will die and I will have missed out on all my chances to spend time with my father, who I know loves me. So it's a really tough call for me on whether I should pull myself together and reach out to him and go spend time and then probably be mad about it and be upset. And I, whenever I have a fight with him, I'm really thinking about it a lot for the, for the weeks after that. Or if I just, just uh, should just stay away um, and not reach out to him and risk risk being so sorry about it um, in a couple of years. I really hope you can help me a little bit um, with the little information on the background. And yay for you making a podcast. I'm really excited about it. Thank you. Hey, Rebecca, this is such a tough situation. And the regret you are worried about having is... A common one when it comes to either distancing or cutting out people of a certain age and it's actually one of the reasons I think is valid to not cut someone out. Here's the thing, you never want to put yourself in a position of having regrets, let alone permanent regrets that can't be healed or fixed and unfortunately 
death or the fear of death puts you in that position. So what you need to decide for yourself is how much contact is enough contact that you won't have regrets, but little enough contact to give you your own peace and not disrupt your own mental health. Make a decision that you're going to be happy with and that might be the middle ground of distancing even if a part of you does want to cut them out fully. That could just be limiting time spent together or limiting access in what you decide to share. So not sharing vulnerable information or it might even be not engaging in heated conversations that you know you've had a number of times in the past and have never resulted in any progress or productive change in the other person. A tool that you might find helpful is what my life coach Michelle Zelli calls engaged indifference, which means when you're in a conversation, you are engaged and listening But there's a level of distance. You're spending quality time together, but you have a layer of protection in the form of detachment or a lack of emotional investment so that they can't get under your skin in the same way. You aren't invested in the same way. It is combined with the belief that you are not going to change the person or change their beliefs or that their beliefs aren't going to shift. And so you take your time together as a surface level activity so that you can be happy in knowing that you won't have regrets, you've put in the compulsory time in order to ensure that is the case, but you also aren't putting your heart in their hands to be crushed every time you interact with them. I do want to challenge your mentality around one thing though, because you started the voice note with saying that you were growing up in a well-functioning family with two wonderful parents, and then you mention your dad not taking any interest in your life. Those are quite contradicting statements and therefore how you phrase that makes me think that you're not fully addressing the full extent of the hurt that your dad has caused and whilst an element of that might be the dementia, it is quite unlikely that this behaviour came from nowhere and wasn't presented in your childhood. This isn't about labelling your dad or um, blaming your dad for things, it's about recognising the pain that is present and therefore will exist inside of you every time your needs were ignored, dismissed or there was a lack of interest about anything that was going on in your life and if that was taking place in your childhood you need to create some space for that to feel it. I am bringing this up because it will be difficult to do engaged indifference or to detach yourself emotionally until you actually acknowledge that it was painful, hurtful and pieced together all the times in your childhood that you felt the same way. Because then what is happening is that every time you engage with your dad, you are actually reopening a wound that already exists. So essentially your two choices are to protect yourself by not seeing him so the wound doesn't reopen Or you have to do some healing in order to reduce the size of the wound. So the same wound isn't being triggered every time you see him. There is no wrong or right answer, so do what's right for you. And you also don't need to make an absolute decision. You can just continue to check in with yourself and ask yourself, do I want to see my dad or do I want to call him? And if I don't, then great, I'm not going to call him. Follow your feeling, follow what you want to do, follow your intuition. The internal healing isn't just necessary for you to be able to do engaged indifference, but it's also to heal anyway, because it will be impacting you in your life at the moment. Because when you have a parental wound around a parent ignoring you or not taking interest in your life, it tends to lead to a belief that you are not important, not valuable, not worthy, and that will have a continuous impact on the other relationships in your life. 
So take some time to feel that pain to the full extent. Grieve the father you don't have right now and also grieve the father you wish you had right now. And as a result, you will gain more emotional control when you're around him. And then as a result of that, you will be able to make a decision on whether you want to or are capable of spending time with him in an emotionally neutral way. I'm sending you so much love and thank you for the question. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort. So you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. This week in Dissecting Dysfunctional Conversations, we are talking Station 19. Every week I dissect dysfunctional conversations that I see on TV and we use it as an opportunity to improve our own communication. Station 19 is one of the spin-off shows of Grey's Anatomy and it's about a firehouse in Seattle and whilst it doesn't compete with my greatest love, Grey's Anatomy, there was one episode that was the most standout episode of television I have watched in a while of all TV shows. It only just aired but it's filmed as if it's the following week after George Floyd's death and I genuinely think you could watch this episode even if you don't watch the show because they've done it in a way where you don't need to actually understand the context of any of the characters. The reason why it works though and it works on both these shows both Grey's Anatomy and Station 19 is because these shows were already diverse. They didn't have to squeeze in a black therapist because the show already had a black therapist. They didn't have to create black characters because those black characters already exist. Because there were already like five, I think, if not more, black firefighters within the show. And same with Grey's Anatomy. They aren't doing tokenism when it's a current conversation. They did it before it. And I truly believe this is because of Shonda Rhimes, who makes all her shows really inclusive and makes inclusivity a non-negotiable. So this is season four, episode 12, if you want to check it out and you want to watch it yourself. And it's just the most articulate episode on race that I've seen. And it really takes you through multiple points of views in the black community and how each black character responds and reacts differently. And there's different emotions around what is going on. And 
There is so much nuance in it that it doesn't treat every black person as one conglomerate who think and feel the same way about something, but shows people having different ways to cope. There was also a point where they talk about racism that Asians are and have been facing for forever, but also especially in the last year and a half connected to coronavirus. And I want to talk about it simply because apart from Grey's Anatomy, I have actually not seen another show discuss this at all. The storyline they use is that one of the characters in the station is mixed race and half Asian and his Asian mum got spat on on the same day as George Floyd. He says they spat at her while saying that if Kung Flu, I literally haven't actually said that out loud yet, Um, obviously that is what Trump has been calling coronavirus but I would never use that terminology myself. But this is what this racist said within the show was real. It was because of people like her. He then goes on to say that the woman who spat at his mum both didn't believe COVID was real and was blaming her for it. He says he never mentioned it at the time or spoke about it to anyone because he felt like what was going on in the black community was bigger and then he apologises for talking to her about it. The person he is talking to is a therapist on the show and she is a black woman and so she says, are you apologising because I'm a black woman and my racist stuff is bigger? And he responds saying, yeah, something like that. And she says, it doesn't work like that. And he says, it doesn't not work. She says she knows hate crimes have spiked. And he says, but no one is talking about it. He lists all the hate crimes like Filipino nurses being attacked, a two-year-old and a six-year-old being stabbed. These are all real cases, by the way. And grandmas being thrown in front of subway trains. Again, also true, something that happened. And he says it's not news. And he asks why we are so invisible. She says she doesn't know and he says he doesn't know either but how can he make a fuss when all of it is relative to how the world treats black people and he said when he watched the video in addition to all the horror that he felt he also thought what do we even have to complain about. She says and this was put so beautifully it's all bad and you're trying to be generous but it's all bad. There are no winners in the oppression Olympics and she says it's gaslighting if anyone tells you to be okay with the brutalities being inflicted on your community because worse things are happening to another. And that scene just perfectly summarises the beauty and the nuance and the complexity that happens in communication but things we can work through when both parties are coming from a place of empathy and a place of I hear you, I see you, I'm listening. It was just so kind and so compassionate and this obviously isn't a dysfunctional conversation but I just want to bring it up because a conversation is always better than silence. Not just in this context, every context. In fact, as I'm saying this, I'm literally remembering the fact that yesterday on my Instagram I had 10 DMs saying you might as well have stayed silent about uh, the Palestine and Israel issue at the moment and I just adamantly and vehemently disagree no one should be staying silent say the wrong thing fuck up but say something and this is what the show shows in fact what i was saying online yesterday is if you come into conversations like this with tight fists ready to start swinging at the person you are never going to have a productive conversation so instead come into these conversations with open palms and i feel like this is what these two people did and it's such a good example and demonstration of how to have these conversations 
Saying something in a messy way is better than not saying anything at all. And I just want to be sure that I've been clear in saying that I haven't created this segment to preach perfect communication, but instead to give you tools and specifically language in order to give you more options and more confidence to say something, anything, in every context I try to cover. When you operate in any high pressure or difficult conversation with empathy and giving the other person a little benefit of the doubt, especially when they've earned it over time, it makes every conversation easier. Whether it's this context or another, when we see someone's intention, it can stop us from jumping down someone's throat instantly and instead just go, did you really mean that that way? Is that what you mean? Or even, I'm not sure you meant it in a hurtful way, but it did hurt. You give people a chance to pause, to think about what they've just said. I truly believe when two people are engaging with an open mind and an open heart and giving each other room to be messy is when we have the best conversations. So I just wanted to share that scene in case you've not seen Station 19. Hi Michelle, really love the podcast and I'm just about to start reading your book. And I've got one question... And from lockdown, I think tensions are quite high in my house at the moment. And I've been forced to move back in with my family. And my younger brother lives here as well. And he has been repeatedly for months insulting my intelligence through comments that he makes whenever I try and talk about something that I'm interested in he'll kind of discredit with a joke and won't want to speak anything about it and him on the other hand he can have a full intelligent conversation about whatever he wants but he kind of doesn't let me um, talk about stuff that I'm interested in in the house and it's really getting to me and I've tried to tell him that I don't appreciate it and could he stop but I don't know how else I should set a boundary. Something else I've been doing is to just distance myself from him so I've stopped going out for walks with him, I've started going by myself and having a bit more alone time which has been good but I wondered if you had any more advice. Anything would be appreciated. Thank you. Hey there, thank you so much for getting my book and I know so many people have struggled with this living under the same roof with their family during the pandemic so well done on getting through it even if it has meant bringing up some old patterns and difficult situations that you thought you'd left behind. There is definitely a really strong association when you move back into a family home and I actually used to doing this once a year around Christmas time because my family don't live in the same country as me so when I do visit them I do tend to go for quite a while and you almost regressed and this regressed version of ourselves is quite normal when we move back home and I think sometimes that happens because we don't see other options in a situation where we normally would have options because of this stuckness of being under the same roof. It almost mirrors the stuckness of what we feel about being the old us or the child us. No matter how old you are or how much you have grown or changed since moving out, it is very easy to slip backwards. In fact, I think there's a quote, and I can't remember who by, that goes something like, if you think you're a old person, go spend a week with your family. So I hugely relate, but I think every person listening also does. 
it sounds like you are doing so many things so far with your brother and they are all great tools to use and well done on trying to set a boundary and also distancing when that boundary was not respected. You may be doing this, but I just want to make this clear that you should also be connecting the consequence of the greater distance to the broken boundary so that he knows and he is clear on it. So what does that mean? That means not just saying don't speak to me that way and then just coincidentally distancing from him, but instead deliberately saying if you would like to go on a walk with me, then I need you to actually be listening to my points of views because otherwise that's not a productive conversation and not a conversation I want to be having. When you dismiss me, it makes me feel stupid and I want to be able to enjoy this walk. So can you agree to that? In a way, it's actually increasing the motivation for the behaviour you want. And whilst he might revert to insults later on in the evening or the next day, putting out these parameters means if he enjoys spending time with you, he has a way back to doing that if he wants to make the necessary changes. As I said, you might already be doing this, but also saying, if you make another joke about my intelligence, I'm leaving this room and going back to my own room is another option. The only other alternative you have, and I will give a caveat and a warning that this is a more vulnerable approach and therefore there is a greater potential for you to be hurt even more, and it might not end well, but you do have this as an option, is in a very emotionally neutral way. And actually, maybe even after you and your brother have had a few good days, just to go into his room non-confrontationally and simply go, can I ask you a question? And then if he agrees, then say, I really want to know why you continue to make jokes about my intelligence. There seems to be a specific sticking point around this and there seems to be quite a continuous joke and I just, I really want to understand. Only you know your brother and only you can say or know whether this will lead to a proper conversation or he'll just say, it's just a joke, why do you have to take everything so seriously? But if you even think there is a small chance that this will either make him pause or question his own behaviour or there's a small chance that he might even recognise it in the moment seeing just how hurt you are or how upset you are and it might make him hesitate the next time he goes to make a joke then it might be worth having this conversation. I'll leave that up to you but well done on doing everything you can with the situation and let's hope these additional steps will make the difference. This week's three quick tips are on how to improve communication in your family. Number one, just because that's the way it's always been done doesn't mean you have to follow it. Whilst you can't change someone else's behaviour, a dynamic does involve two people. So if you change your own response, your own behaviour and the way you react to things, as a result, how they respond and how they react often shifts as well. Number two, when things get heated or hurtful, pause the conversation. Family relationships are the ones who have known you the longest and therefore know exactly how and where to push your buttons to get a reaction. Learn to step away from the conversation the moment it becomes unproductive. All you need to say is, I'm not going to stay in this conversation if you continue to be hurtful. And if they continue, then just say, I'm walking away now, come find me when you're ready to have a productive conversation. Number three, avoid triangulation. Triangulation is any time a third party gets involved in your conversations. So as much as that means telling a sibling or another parent to stay out of it when having a conversation with someone else, it also means that you are walking out of the room and staying out of it yourself when the conversation doesn't involve you and isn't directly about you. Saying phrases like, if you have an issue with my brother, talk to him about it. 
or simply just, that's none of my business, or my opinion doesn't matter, it doesn't involve me. Stay in your own lane and that will halve the number of disagreements that happen simply because you realise half the fights you are fighting weren't even yours and don't take the bait when other family members try to get you involved. Hi, my name is Nancy. I've been practicing setting boundaries for quite a while now. My mother actually taught me how to, even though it's kind of ironic, but she's not very receptive to boundaries I set with her as an adult. So that's interesting to consider. But mainly I wanted to reach out and say, I think that setting boundaries in a concrete way is helpful, especially if you can send them in an email or a text. I know that's a bit taboo. For some people, they believe that those sorts of conversations should happen either over the phone or face-to-face. But what's really great about a text or an email is that you have a concrete record of what you've said to that person. It gives you time to think it through and edit it and make it sound the way you mean for it to. And um, if they ever decide to cross a boundary that you've set, you can say to them, look, on this day at this time, we established this boundary and you're violating it and I really need you to respect it and respect me in order for our relationship to work. Anyways, I hope you find that helpful. Thanks, Michelle. Hey, Nancy. I love that your mum taught you about boundaries, even if she's not great at receiving them herself. It actually brings up an interesting point because I think we all learn boundaries from our parents. Either they teach us by what they are doing Or they actually teach us by what they are not doing and us wanting to be different. I also think it's interesting when someone is good at setting boundaries with others but not good at being on the receiving end of boundaries because I believe they go hand in hand. So my explanation, and I don't know enough about your mum so I'm not going to comment on your mum, but in general I would say is if someone is good at setting boundaries and not receiving them, the likelihood is that they are actually not setting boundaries, they are setting walls. And those walls are being used to control people in their reaction and their response. So as I explain in my book, The Joy of Being Selfish, we have to be careful that we don't use boundaries as walls, threats or ultimatums. And if you can't receive boundaries, that sounds like it's likely to be the case. If you are setting boundaries with a it's my way or the highway mentality, then your boundaries are too rigid. They don't allow for flexibility. Now, it's okay to say, treat me a certain way, otherwise you aren't allowed a space in my life. But for example, if your boundary sounds something like, I don't do phone calls, you can't make me, I don't want to, it's not happening, accommodate to me, or otherwise, bye-bye. That's a wall and an ultimatum, especially if the conversation this is taking place with is a person who prefers phone calls and maybe doesn't do texts. In a situation like this, when you set boundaries, it should be about communication. In fact, all boundaries should be about communication. So then I would say, well, how about voice notes? How are voice notes for you? Or, oh, I'm so glad I know that's how you feel about phone calls and I'll be aware of that. But you also need to be aware of the fact that I don't like texting. This is what a boundaried conversation sounds like. You asking for your needs to be met while listening to someone else's. And it actually brings me perfectly onto the last bit of your voice note about texting boundaries rather than in person. 
I loved your perspective on this and I completely agree. I never actually realised this until I was listening to your voice note, but I do set the majority of my boundaries over text. I mean, look at my book. It has so many sample texts in there because those are actual real life texts that I do send. I do also try to set boundaries in person if I am going to see them uh, in a short enough time, but a lot of the times it will be after an interaction and therefore it won't be like another few more weeks or a month until I see someone and I don't want to be holding on to those feelings. And so it does end up being a text for me. I have never personally set a boundary over the phone because either I'm seeing that person or I want to be able to actually carefully choose my words. But as you said, if I know it's going to be heated or emotional conversation, there is an added benefit in doing it over text. And like you, I really don't subscribe to this belief that text is an inferior form of communication, or at least not for everyone. I think with some people it can be, and some people are not great at expressing themselves over text. But in general, it does give people time to think. They choose their words more carefully and they can get over that shock because sometimes when someone sets a boundary with you and you're not accustomed to boundaries and you're not used to them in your life, you can just get this gut reaction, this knee-jerk reaction of shock that makes you feel really defensive when you just need to take a breath and give it a moment and actually sit with it before communicating. So in my mind, it gives you time to choose your words more carefully, more selectively, can think about what you want to say, they don't feel pressured. There are so many benefits to texting. And if someone was vehemently against texting, though, I wouldn't be opposed to picking up the phone. And maybe I have it in the past. It's actually really hard to remember every single boundary I've set. But off the top of my head, I do tend to prefer to pick up the phone when it comes to work, because I don't see a lot of my colleagues in person. And so the option of seeing someone in person and communicating in person is non-existent, especially in the pandemic. For example, I haven't seen my agent in two years, but we do text every day. And therefore, sometimes I will just be like, hey, do you have five minutes and pick up the phone? Because I do think it's easier. And sometimes I'll just send a text first being like, hey, do you have five minutes? Let's sort this out over the phone. This gives the person time to compose themselves, think about what they want to say, and just a warning or heads up that I'm going to call so they have the opportunity to say if they're busy or not. And that's also why text works well, because especially if you're in the middle of a workday, I can reply to it when that text will have my full attention. But then similarly, when you're doing it in person, by simply asking for someone's full attention, that also works. And so with any boundaries, it's always better to set the boundary than to not. So use whichever medium works for you. And if someone else has an issue with the medium you are using, let them have the opportunity to bring up the issue themselves. Don't pre-predict it. So if they have an issue with you texting it, then they can say that. Otherwise, I'm not going to assume you have an issue with me texting it. Thank you so much for your thoughts and I'm sending you so much love. So what I'm working on right now is actually learning a lot about the divine feminine and the divine masculine. So this is a school of thought and it's the belief that we all have masculine and feminine energy within us. This isn't about gender, we all have both. So some of us have a feminine core, some of us have a masculine core. And again, it's not correlated to gender. So you can be a man with a feminine core or a woman with a masculine core. The idea is that the masculine in us controls structure, strict timings, it's rigid, it's the container. And the feminine in us is the flow, the water within the container. It's the emotion. 
as always, this section is about things I'm still learning. So if I get any of the information in this section wrong or isn't 100% accurate, then don't blame me. I'm just finding it fascinating and wanted to share because the idea is that if we have a healthy relationship with both our masculine and our feminine, that's when we are most balanced and at peace. But some people have a wounded masculine and some people have a wounded feminine and that prevents you from getting in touch with your divine masculine and your divine feminine or your healthy masculine and feminine. Which brings me to what I'm learning and realising. What I basically realised was that because I went to an all-girls boarding school, all my first examples of masculinity outside of my family were in university and in university I was surrounded by a lot of very protective guys but the way they were protective was always with aggression. I have multiple memories standing between both the guy I was dating and the guy I was friends with because one had punched the other or one had pinned another up against the wall and all of it was done in a way to protect me but it used to scare me so much. I had these like nightmares about one of them ending up in hospital because one had punched another too hard or one of them would hit their head and it would all be my fault because I didn't get in the middle fast enough or I didn't stop them from fighting or ultimately because I didn't stand up for myself and therefore my friend felt like he needed to and I didn't cut this guy out who probably shouldn't have been in my life in the first place and that ultimately it would all be my fault. So all of these memories kept coming up in my mind and it's not only building a healthy relationship with my feminine but also my masculine. So essentially what a healthy masculine example in that would be would have meant that I would have been empowered to stand up for myself. So a healthy masculine would have encouraged me to stand up for myself and given me the courage and the space to do it for myself rather than doing it for me. That's what healthy protection looks like and also healthy empowerment, self-protection. So it's been really fascinating and really interesting. And if you want to learn more about it, I've been listening to podcasts on it and following a guy on Instagram called John Wineland. So that's who I recommend for it. And yeah, it's just been very interesting. And I'm having all these like evolving thoughts slash like flashbacks to past experiences and how I interpret them differently with this new information and new knowledge and that's kind of what life is is adding all this information and then looking back at past memories being like oh I can interpret that differently now so if that's something that interests you that's where to look it up and thank you so much all for the questions this podcast couldn't happen without your voice notes if you would like to be part of a future episode then send your question to in all honesty at mindsetforlife.co.uk the email address will be in the description below you can also get my two books the joy of being selfish if you want something about boundaries or am i ugly if you want something about body image and you can find my ted talk online it's called have you hated your body enough today i think it's at 60,000 views if you enjoyed this podcast episode then take a screenshot right now share it into your stories and tag me in it so i can see it and i'll reshare you on mine and thank you so much all for listening. You can find me online at Scarred Not Scared on most things, TikTok, Instagram, and Twitter. And have a wonderful week. Thank you so much for listening. Bye. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more, with Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. 
And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger. Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.